You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau. Thank you for joining us today. And today I have Mark Petch from Relative Company. Mark is a leader, innovator, and business builder. Mark has helped grow some of the world's biggest brands. An executive, entrepreneur, and creative strategist, Mark has a track record of developing and leading teams to innovative solutions that drive ROI. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Ted. You're welcome. How are you doing? I'm well, man. You know, coming off a nice weekend. My my youngest or my oldest, sorry, turned four and a nice little COVID birthday. So COVID birthday. Well. So what'd you guys do? Zoom? COVID? What what what'd you do? Actually, they just lifted a lot of the restrictions in Ontario. So we could have outdoor gatherings up to ten. So his grandparents came and one of his aunts and uncles. And so it was good. That's nice. My cousin yeah. had his one year old COVID baby birthday and it was like 25 people that don't know each other on zoom while this baby just sat around and beat the crap out of the birthday cake <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> so that's a true that, covid baby though <laughs> right true covid baby and the dog was caged away because it wasn't allowed to eat the cake but you know it's fun still anyhow yeah. so maybe let's get started tell me uh, a little bit about uh who you are your origin story tell us you know the birth of mark petch's career <laughs> well you put it like that <laughs> you know, those black shaker balls, what I do with my career. It started uh, early, I guess. You know, I like to th- say that I've, I'm a natural marketer. When I was young, uh, just working with my grandpa, you know, pre-times it was legal for me to actually work. You know what I mean? Like I was too young to be working, but that's, that's what grandfathers do. And, you know, telling him that he should take all his clients out for golf to thank them for their business, you know. I didn't have any business experience at all. I'm like 12 years old, but it just made sense, right? But not necessarily a straightforward career path. I grew up in a small town. There was no, you know, guidance. Other than my grandfather, there was no like real business people. My childhood best friend, who was the most successful person I I knew, was in print sales. And I knew I just wanted to be in business. I didn't know anything else, right? So he encouraged me to take this program at Ryerson called Graphic Communications Management. It's basically like a comprehensive business program for the commercial print segment. It was a really great program, but, you know, lo and behold, I go into the world of prints. I was bored. You know, it's an important industry, but it just wasn't for me. I couldn't flex really the strategic and creative juices I wanted to. Long story short, I ended up taking a competitive internship instead at a small agency called Wonderkind. And did well, uh, grew to director of that company, helped them grow over a five-year period. They sold the business. And then I started consulting from there. Did that for two years, mostly around like brands, brand strategy, your origin story. How do you tell that really well? That was going really well. And I ended up getting recruited by Post Media to run an interesting division. It was called Strategic Partnerships. But basically, it is a media for equity and revenue sharing division. And so that really interested in me, just, you know, having an entrepreneurial mindset and learning that aspect of the business and the blend of both investment and marketing that was successful. And they asked me to run their media strategy division as well, which is 
managing integrated campaigns. After that, I left and started a cannabis endemic media company as Canada legalized cannabis nationally. There's a lot of regulations in Bill C-45 and those brands had limited space as to where they could advertise and also they needed help navigating those regulations. So we were basically an end-to-end creative shop, but we also had proprietary ad tech on a whole bunch of endemic blogs so they could advertise. Did that for a year. It was going pretty well, but decided to leave because I I really liked the cannabis space and, and continue to be an investor in it. But I wanted to get back to other industries and other leading segments. So hence, Relative Company uh, was born. And that's what we're doing now. That's great. So golf, is that because you wanted your grandpa just take you golfing or you're like, hey, I got to do this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love golf. And he was, he was definitely uh, uh, an early hero figure in my life, both from a business perspective. And, and he did take me golfing a lot, <laughs> you know, like 7 a.m. tea times, which as a kid Ooh. is difficult. But, you know, then I'd spend the whole day on the course. So it was fine. <laughs> awesome. Yeah it's, yeah, it's great how our family members that support us in our careers really kind of push us. I mean, I was actually over the weekend telling uh, my family about my first job, actually, which was also not a legal job yet. I wanted to, to work early on. And the first job I got, my mother got for me doing cold calls for Fabricland. You know, Fabric, do you guys have yeah, Fabricland yeah. out in Ontario? Yeah, so like yeah. they printed this, I, I was a telemarketer. So they printed on dot matrix sheets of paper, every line, and every call that I made, I got a quarter <laughs> for it. But it was great because I'm calling like grandmas and aunts. And, and this is back in the day, like dial up, right? So like people didn't hang up on me. So I just called me like, hey, is Agnes there? Oh, by the way, Clan has its spring sale and whatnot. And it's funny because that actually led me into a, you know, a career of sales, as it were. And starting your own thing, your own agency, like you and I, it's really imperative that you have those marketing and sales skills. So... Good on your grandma. Absolutely. And good on, was it your mom you said? Sorry. Your mom, my mom. I asked, yeah. I did ask her. She was a realtor and she actually like, her resume, she just basically said, said housewife or a homemaker for the fabric line. So they would hire her. And then she just wow. gave me the stack and then let me do it. That's awesome. What an education and, yeah. you know, conversational marketing you had. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. And my sister actually went to uh, Ryerson in the same program, funny enough. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, graphic communication management, right? That's what you said. Yeah, yeah. GCM yeah, she liked it. Yeah, she liked it. So then you were talking about media for equity at Post Media. What does that mean? I've never heard that term. When I when we were doing it at Post Media, I don't think there was another group in North America doing it, but there were certainly precedents around the world. Like the Prosieben is a German media company, and they would do it with uh, like Remnant Television, and then Times of India newspaper in India. Uh, they would do it with. They would just take a very small stake and any remnant advertising you could access. And there were successful models. I think at the time, Proceben was, forgive me if I'm forgetting the numbers, but I think it was around 700 million euro was their portfolio. And uh, Times of India was north of a billion USD. So it was something that actually Andrew McLeod, who's the present CEO of Post Media, he wasn't at the time, but this was his initiative that he had thought, you know, I can see some opportunity here. And he wanted someone outside the organization who had the blend of entrepreneurship and corporate 
life to kind of lead that charge. And fortunately, I, I was tapped to do that. And essentially, what we would do is partner with brands and say, you know, you're going to spend X amount in media this year. Instead of spending that, you know, just for the sake of argument, cut that number in half, spend it with us. We'll control your, your marketing stack. We'll take a percentage of your revenue from last year as payment. And then a larger percentage the following year, assuming that we were growing the business through these marketing channels. There was also, you know, to get into the details, but like warrants in the business and things of that nature. So you end up being a true partner to the brand versus everybody says like, you know, we're partners. No, it's a client service relationship usually, right? So it was really interesting because you were very embedded with the business, both like internal planning and how do we go to market, like all the way through to creative decisions. So it was a cool experience for sure. I think that's a really good way of doing business when it's less of a you know client supplier relationship and you're more partners. I wonder though, in terms of the sales cycle, wouldn't that be quite a bit longer because now you're getting lawyers involved, accountants involved, and like you said, warrants and stuff like that. Like that's that's a whole ball of wax. I mean, like, you know, buying and selling real estate takes forever. I could only imagine when you're talking about two large entities trying to do a deal together, how much longer is the sales cycle? Yeah, for sure. And it's a great point. Like you're absolutely right. You're the cycles of time it takes to close a deal like that is significantly longer, but it can be shorter. I think it comes down to, you know, if I were to do it again, like nailing the criteria of the portfolio companies you're looking to work with, right? Having really strict parameters about what they are, like your X amount of revenue, X amount of profitability and growth, churn, all of those metrics, like figure out what those are. And then you, you're narrowing the bandwidth, the type of companies you're looking at. And then from there, it's just about, you know, keeping that ball rolling, deal momentum, right? Because if it's, if it's dying on the vine, it's going to die, right? Like, yeah, for that's sure. it for sure. So I don't think it's something that in North America is that easy to scale in terms of traditional scale models, but it can certainly be done. Like you could also look at it like how Times of India did it and develop like a self-serve platform almost. Like we'll take a very small percentage of the business, have at it on the remnant inventory. If you can make it grow, great, right? That's a very hands-off approach, whereas this was very hands-on, you know, providing a lot of white glove service. So I think there's different ways of doing it. But to your point, it's an interesting model or avenue of different models to to look at. Well, I would imagine also you would have to be quite educated on, you know, P&Ls and how a business scales to understand intimately how the other partner used to be the client, now possibly your partner, how their business model works. Because you're essentially, you know, placing a bet on whether or not they're going to grow. And sure, you're going to help them on the revenue side, but if their operations is not one that's scalable or it's inefficient, then all of a sudden, well, you know, you're just putting more money into something that's not functioning properly. Yeah, for sure. It's absolutely so correct. Then, were you charged with that? I had responsibility of growing my group. And then within, you know, the portfolio of clients, I was lead on, say, a Mogo. So certain aspects of that, for sure. But I was more the quarterback and, you know, we had the appropriate team members looking at various aspects of the business. Actually, you were talking earlier before we started the interview, 
you had mentioned that you've done a few private placements as an agency owner. That, And I would imagine, is that from your experience with Post Media doing this media for equity work that you had done? Yeah, certainly that's part of it. I can't you know, lay full claim to having come up with the idea, obviously. It precedes me. But I think both being an entrepreneur and... Know, having an aggressive mindset in terms of like growth and pushing things forward and innovation. Like for me, it's kind of twofold. One, certainly if these companies do well, it's great for me and my family. But the other side of that is I'm an entrepreneur myself and a lot of my clients are entrepreneurs. I want to support that ecosystem. So it's a put your money where your mouth is type of scenario for me maybe more principle led than anything else. Like it is risky. Certainly, you know, admittedly, I'm not like a, I'm not a VC or some super well-funded angel. Those dollars do matter. And I like to take the approach that if I'm investing, then I'm going to do everything in my power to help those companies grow. Okay. Well, so, you know, maybe share with us our audience, you know, given that a lot of us are probably listening in as agency owners or, or folks that are consultants that run their own show. How does one go about that? Because I mean, I was telling you earlier, again, before we started recording the session, that you know, I myself, I've invested in other asset classes. But in mm-hmm. terms of actually investing in another active business that I don't 100% control, I mean, maybe I'm a bit of a control freak, but I don't know the first thing about going about that. So maybe you can give some tips. What are the, I don't know, top three, four or five things that we need to look out for? How do you get your feet wet? I'd say there's a few things. There's the, you know, setup of it in that you need a good team. Like you need a good lawyer to be able to look at these deals and say, you know, just the paperwork itself. Like, does this make sense? Are there weird clauses in here that, you know, that are red flags or, what have you. So that's, you know, first and foremost, because it is like the riskiest form of investment. So you want to do everything you can to mitigate that risk. When I'm looking to invest in one of these companies, like how do I evaluate them? Well, you know, is it a social impact or like a broader impact type of company? Does it have the potential to impact a massive market? Right. That's table six. Number two, do I believe the founder, right? Do I believe what he's telling me in terms of the market gap and product market fit and his vision? Do I believe that he can get it done, he or she? And then in addition to that, like, are they, like, what does the capital structure look like? Are they well positioned for growth? Or is this something where, you know, I'm just essentially funding something that may not take off because of the way capital has been structured in the past. Meaning like maybe they have a lot of investors and there's not a lot of value left for me to grab hold of, which also means that the next round it's going to be difficult. So I'd say those are all important things to, to consider. Uh, do you look and then for, in, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say in terms of like, you know, how do you find these deals? A couple of things. One, you know, the power of networking. Just always be, you know, if you're interested in this, always be talking to entrepreneurial organizations and, you know, even different angel groups or, 
you know, incubators, things of that nature. Like it's easy to go and have those conversations and be introduced to people. So, yeah. So if I go and invest, I don't know, let's say five grand in Apple or whatever, just for argument's sake, I, I look for an ROI or, or if I'm investing in a, you know, a bank and they, they have a dividend. And also there's liquidity when it comes to mm-hmm. investing in the market. Yeah, sure. In real estate, it takes a little bit longer. You got to sell it. But when you're doing a private placement like this, you know, you, you pop in 100, 200, 300 grand into this thing. It's not liquid, right? It's there. You're locked in. It's for operations. How do you measure your ROI? How do you plan for the exit? Are you planning for IPOs? I'm assuming it's different per deal, but what do you typically look for? Yeah, it's definitely different per deal. I think most of the entrepreneurs you come across, like they're building it for a number of reasons. One, they're trying to solve a problem. You know, they just love the thing they're doing so much. All of them, though, are thinking of some level of exit, whether that's IPO or purchase or what have you. Like, not many of them I come across are like, look, I just plan to build a solid cash flow lifestyle business. Like, you know, so again, I, I think when I'm looking at these, it's not necessarily like a specific number in terms of ROI or anything like that that I'm looking for. It's more going back to, is it in a market segment that has the ability to change a lot of people's lives? Because that's an easy way to say, okay, there's a huge opportunity or a huge segment that they can serve. And then do they have the ability technically and as leaders themselves to get it there? Right. And we're looking at it from those aspects in terms of, you know, the risk, like you're right, the liquidity is not there. So like I balance my risk by also investing in, you know, ETFs and dividend stocks and things like that. Like, And the stage at which I'm usually investing is like seed or pre-seed friends and family. So I'm not making massive bets. I'm not putting in half a million dollars here or a million dollars there. Like, you know, it's 20 to $70,000. So certainly I wouldn't like to lose that outright, but I do like to think that I'm doing uh, my part to help support the ecosystem. And, you know, if those pay off, then awesome. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, yeah, the ecosystem conversation is something that I think we need to have more of in Canada because I have friends in Silicon Valley or Canadian friends that have moved down to Silicon Valley and then came back up here and they say that the investment ecosystem is almost non-existent comparatively to what's in, in the States. And I think having this conversation about how we can get involved even on a, a smaller scale standpoint, I think would would bolster it. So then how would you advise you know, other entrepreneurs or agency owners like myself? How do you be on the lookout? What do you do? Yeah. Again, I think it's if you're interested in this this type of thing, then it's paying attention to the startup kind of ecosystem as it stands in Canada and just, you know, making friends with the founders of those companies and other angel investors and things of that nature. So if they come across a deal, they'll think of you and be like, Hey, I'm going to go in on this. You know, if you're interested, here it is. Here's a, here's an introduction. And there's a lot you can do outside of putting your own money on the table to support the ecosystem. Like, you know, if you think about the agency world, like, like let's talk about, um, spec work like mm. this ridiculous notion that mm-hmm. you know these agencies are going to do this free work for these brands on the hopes of winning the business it's like maybe you win the business maybe you don't like why not take some of that energy and you know do some free or heavily discounted work for a startup or blend it so you know if the startups open to it because that's the other thing like in the immediate going back to the media for equity and revenue sharing model, you could do the same with services, but obviously the other party needs to be interested as well. Maybe they don't want to open up room on their cap table. Maybe they'd rather just take the money instead of this kind of bartering. But some agencies and some brands would be into that. Like instead of me charging you, you know, whatever, 30, 40 grand to come up with your identity and initial brand strategy, let's say, I'll charge you half of that. And why don't we get some points on it for the rest. Like there's lots of things you can do. And and the other thing I think is just being a good bridge and connector. Not always do my services fit, right? Maybe I'm not the best person to execute this thing, but I know, you know, Ted, he's really great at it. So I'm going to just make that introduction and maybe the universe will reward me with something later. Like, you know, but just pay it forward. Yeah. Hallelujah. I agree. Um, with regards to relative company, tell us a bit about it. What's your strength? It sounds like it says consultancy that helps businesses with profitable growth. Yeah. So it's all related to this space and where I want to take the business in the future. But we generally help C-suite and other leaders, small and medium-sized firms with exactly that profitable growth. There's this notion that you should scale at all costs and then figure out profitability. But that is, you know, bad business fundamentals and it's on the way out. 
you know, there have been a few companies that that works for, right? And I'm thinking like the big, big tech companies, okay? That doesn't work for everybody. It works for a very small group of people. And so when we engage with clients, we want to figure out like, not only are these services what you need to solve this problem, but is solving this problem in this way going to be profitable, right? And if it's not, then either we're not the right people or there's something wrong with how we're going to solve this, or maybe this problem is not necessarily too big to solve, but maybe it needs to be outside of your existing organizational structure. Is your agency more, it says consultancy. Is it marketing consultancy or is it, you're almost basically a business coach at this point? In a sense, certainly there's coaching aspects or there can be. I would say the four kind of main pillars we focus on are the initial like brand and business strategy. And I say them together because they are linked. Um, and that could be a, you know, a net new avenue you want to pursue. And then steps kind of 2A and B of that would be your marketing ecosystem. How do you get your name out of there and generate leads, et cetera, and strategic partnerships. Some people would say that could be part of the same ecosystem, and it certainly can. But I, I think also you could have, let's say, a set ecosystem of how you're operating things. Like, I only advertise on Facebook to generate leads, and then I hit them with an email sequence to convert them, or my sales reaches out one-on-one, whatever. Eventually, you'll have diminishing returns on that, and either you can spin up a new campaign or whatever, but you could also look to a strategic partner for... I call it leveraged growth, where you're essentially sharing audience at its easiest entry point, right? You guys have different service offerings, but the same audience, right? And so how do we co-market to grow? And your cost of customer acquisition should go down if you do it well, because you're speaking to a primed audience, right? And then that would lead into sales excellence. So my wife has actually joined the consultancy in the last few months, leaving a corporate role she had. And, and her skill set is different than mine and exceeds mine in many ways. And her focus is more on sales excellence. So that can be one-on-one sales coaching, to your point. But it can also be developing sales strategy and you know all of the processes associated, the integration of sales and marketing, like all of it. So just to recap, those four areas, I would say, are your business strategy, brand strategy, marketing ecosystems, and strategic partnerships, and then sales. With the strategic partnership, that's really interesting. I've never heard that. So do you have a real-life example that you can share with us of how you know you had a client, company A, you know, had diminishing returns, as you said, in marketing, and then somehow you were able to strategically partner them with somebody that was willing to do this? I mean, again, it seems like it'd be kind of a longer cycle again, but it also kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they can be longer cycles too. But if it makes sense, then things move faster, right? If you have to over-explain it, then it's probably not a good idea. One of the more recent examples, and full disclosure, I'm an investor. You asked about private placements. I'm an investor in this company. It's called Funalytics, and we can talk about that. But we developed a strategic partnership program for them and with a like-minded product let's call it, you know, they have very similar audiences, but a different product. So Funalytics is like planning and analytics. 
And this company helps you build your landing pages and things like that and track like affiliate sales. So they partnered and for Funalytics, it generated an additional 250K in like net new revenue at almost no cost, right? Because you're just speaking to an audience that's already there. They already have the communication channels with them. You're just giving them like a co-marketing offer essentially. So that's a good so then example. You, you basically provide almost like co-op dollars to this other partner to get access to their audience and their process? Yeah, it could be something like that, or it could even be as simple as, okay, you have a mailing list of 100,000 people, and I have a mailing list of 100,000 people. Why don't you send an offer for your product or service because it fits my audience, and I'll do the same on yours. It could be that simple, right? And it can be as complex as you know the post medias and the mogos of the world where you're actually taking equity via warrants and doing revenue share. Tell us about Funnelytics. So this is one of the private placement positions that you placed. So now, how did you get involved? Was it golfing again? Did you did you meet some guy <laughs> golfing? Is that what happened? No, I actually, you know, this one's <laughs> super easy for me to talk about because uh, he just also happens to be one of my best friends. He's the, the CEO of this company. And he came to me early on, like his basically his pre-seed and was like, look, I have this idea. I know I can get it done. You know, are you interested? And I loved where he was going with it. I love the vision and I know he's capable. So it was an easy, an easy decision, but essentially I like to think of it like a drag and drop visual Google analytics. Like if you use Google analytics, you go get Google analytics certified. You still don't know what you're doing there. There's just, it's like unwieldy. It's so big. And I would argue that, you know, 80% of marketers don't need everything that's in Google analytics. And so he's come out with this way to like on a visual canvas, drag and drop, whatever, you know, marketing strategy you have every single touch point. And then using his tracking, you can just hit this button called numbers and it populates all of your data and you can map forward and backward, which is really interesting. And you can map like a single user. It's, it's just so powerful. It's hard to like encapsulate it. But I'm really excited about it. I think it's got a lot of room to grow and they're doing really well. Closed Series A in, I want to say, February. And, you know, they're just growing, which is awesome. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, having a lead generation agency like myself and hearing the WYSIWYG click, drag and drop for analytics makes just made my eyes pop out. So I think I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, for sure. And I'm happy to introduce you to him. You know, beyond the power of like it being visual, which is, I mean, most of us would learn that way. You know, it's also a great way to get alignment with your teams mm -hmm. because let's say your strategists are using it to plan, right? And there's a forecasting tool and all sorts of stuff in there. And then your, your performance marketing team is using it to actually track performance and look for bottlenecks and where they can optimize. Now you're all speaking from this exact same place. Right. It's also good. I found a good sales tool because when you're, you know, some customers maybe don't understand the marketing space as well, but they have a solid business and they want to grow it. It's very easy to like draw your funnel or your marketing system or your strategy using this tool and say, this is exactly what I mean. They're going to click on this ad and they're going to go to this landing page and blah, 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 blah. And then being able to then show them that live with the data populating through it is like pretty powerful. Yeah, totally. 
I'm going to go check it out after this. So, <laughs> you know, if anything, out of this podcast, you, you got you got a prospect. So nice. let's <laughs> let's talk about. Well, your wife just joined. So mm-hmm. you know, I have a business where my wife is my partner now. She's our HR director. And I always joke with her that we run a mom pa business now. So it sounds like that's what <laughs> you're doing too. But yeah. in this day and age, especially with COVID and everyone's locked at home or still locked at home, I guess. Any best practices, pro tips you want to share with those of us that have spouses that are always wondering, hmm, should I join? Should I not? Yeah, for Is sure. And first of all, I just want to say, like, we used to joke before we worked together. We used to joke that in our relationship, I was the CEO and CMO, and she was the COO and CRO. So now we actually work together, and it's kind of like that. In terms of tips, I think, like, the first and most important thing is, like, you still need to create separation from work and, you know, home life. So we're fortunate. I've got a small, you know, home office, so we can kind of escape the kids when they're bouncing off the walls and and do some work. And we do our best to set, you know, specific date nights and things like that to get some separation. And, you know, there's no work talk at date night, things like that. I also think just we're fortunate in that our relationship has been so strong as partners anyway. So, you know, if there was any worry of us working together, either my behalf or hers, like it was quickly wrote it once we actually started working together because it was like oh this is just how we are anyway <laughs> and you run a family with two young uh, run a business with two young kids as well because i think you said two and four right yeah yeah so that's why you have me. all i'm look. i'm looking at mark right now audience and he has all his hair and none of it's gray so <laughs> oh, how it's do getting you do gray it, in the beard it's getting gray in the beard <laughs> is for right? sure all right <laughs> again i think it's just like finding the moments to escape like the one beautiful thing that I think COVID has ushered is, you know, I'm obviously not the first to say this, but like everybody realizing that, yeah, you can work from home and it can work. It doesn't work for everybody. Like some people just need that in the office, quiet, whatever. But like these are noise canceling headphones. I have a door, you know? Yeah. Sometimes my son knocks and comes in regardless of what I say and joins me on Zoom calls. But, you know, people are also accepting of that. If anything, I think it's a good thing in the long run. Yeah. And just in terms of balance, like if you you have a break and they're at home, it's fun to go and just, you know, kick a ball with him in the backyard for 15 minutes instead of, you know, stare at my whiteboard blankly for the same 15 minutes. Like, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. My, my, when my daughter has pro D day. So in BC, we have these things called professional development days for teachers as a day off. And yeah, during lunch, I'll go outside, do a little badminton or whatever gym activity that she's doing with her. Just, it's nice too. You got a little bit of fresh air. You're not, like you said, just not staring at your computer. And I mean, I have an instant pot so I can make dinner while working. It's fantastic. So <laughs> speaking of COVID and now that the world is reopening, any trends that you see in business, in marketing that are going to be here to stay? I mean, the obvious one is like, we don't know how everybody's going to return to things are opened up. How much office time do I actually need? Like, I think the, you know, that and the movement to e-commerce has accelerated. That's an easy one. I think beyond that, people are, it seems like people are being more mindful. And I don't mean that in like the, because obviously if you go on social media, it's like a, a war zone. But I mean that in the way that they're more conscious of the brands that they support. 
And it's no longer, you know, just a marketing ploy to align yourself with a cause. It's in fact table stakes. And I would argue that that movement is gaining ground such that brands, you know, at every touch point that they can should be trying to figure out, you know, how does this become more sustainable? How does this impact my community in a better way? Like, I don't think it's going away. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of big companies will continue to face reckonings over it. And we're also in a time where you can start up and disrupt big players. Like it happens all the time. The cycle of innovation and development is significantly faster now than it was five years ago. Even You know, trends shift in 12 hour periods instead of 10 year periods. So I know that was a mouthful, but there's a lot there, I guess. <laughs> oh, amen. I, I agree. I'm actually, as part of what I do, a lot of times I put on these webinars for small, medium-sized business owners to learn about marketing. And the next one I'm putting on actually next week is about the trends for marketing, things that you got to consider for the reopening. And values keeps coming up. I was reading a McKinsey report the other day, and I think another one in Harvard Business Review, and talked about values, values, values. And you can't fake it anymore. So, you know, don't BS it. Just really, you know, be authentic with who you are. And that's how audiences identify these days with brands. A hundred percent. And I don't think the other thing is a lot of brands will, um, it's like they try and jump on every cause that they can. Right. And you don't need to do that. Like pick a cause that makes sense for your brand and that you guys care about and stick with that. It's okay to just be an ally for all the other movements. You don't need to be, I'm saying this because it's Pride Month, you don't need to be waving your flag all the time if that's not what you're supporting as a brand. Like, Because you'll also get flack for it. Like, If you're just going to change your emoji to the Pride flag, you know, and you're not doing anything to actually help, then you know it's just virtue signaling. And it's not only a waste of time, but it will detract from your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe let's talk about any books or any kind of marketing read-ups that we should be looking at as marketers. Any blogs to follow, podcasts that you suggest? I'll start that off by saying like the values thing, I mm. think is so important. And it, it's like we put our values in our deck to say, here's what we really believe in. But also one of the books is called Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, he was a big, you know, hedge fund investor dude, just a really smart guy. And he actually just put out his own personality test, like similar to like a Myers-Briggs Strengths Finder. It's called principlesu.com, I think. I like to do those every few years just to see if I'm, you know, the same person I was or if I'm, you know, whatever. I'm Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And I really liked the results. I thought they were fairly accurate and I liked the way it was presented. And you could also compare so like if i sent you the link you and i could compare it'll show you where you fall in the spectrum where i fall which is kind of cool another book this is an old one but um why we buy by paco underhill Mm -hmm. just good at you know starting the journey if you're diving into like uh, consumer psychology it's a good one i read meditations by marcus aurelius all the time me too. Uh, I love it. And, you know, an old boss and mentor gave me a, a very nice copy. And so I kind of cherish that book. 
newsletters, uh, Grit Capital. Have you heard about Grit Capital? No. What is Grit Capital? It's uh, this woman. She was, you know, a, a money manager for a long time, and just decided to go out on her own. And she's, you know, investing her own money. I don't, I'm not sure if she's as a service offering like money management to other people, but Grit Capital. She puts out a newsletter. She's on Instagram, YouTube, etc. Very intelligent. Covers everything from like ETFs to crypto and alternative assets, and is really good at breaking it down in layman's terms for people. I think she's putting out a paid newsletter now where she even talks about her own positions and stuff. So I'd suggest that one. I think she's on Substack. It's gridcapital.substack.com or something like that. Yeah. Other than that, I'm like into other things that are emerging like esports and, and things like that. So following, you know, the outspoken players in that space is, is a lot of fun. Esports is a thing. I actually had someone leave my agency to pursue their career in esports, and as I mean, a player or like no, no, not as a player, as, as someone that's in the marketing space but wanted to yeah. work more in esports, mm-hmm. and that was the moment when I said, "Oh man, this thing's here to stay." For sure, for sure, and you have big, big uh, Canadian players now: Overactive Media and uh, Enthusiast Gaming, Amuka Esports. The list is growing, and it's a really cool space. And I think you know brands looking to make deep connections with audience. Like, again, it's one of those things, don't do it flippantly. If you're going to go into esports, go in, go in full and like partner with someone who knows the space and knows gamers. Right. Okay. So let's do a little rapid fire lightning round. How's that? Ooh, sounds good. All right. Are you a gamer? Yes, absolutely. What are you playing? I mostly play FPS, first person shooters, Call of Duty. Battlefield's coming up with a new game. That'll be, That'll be the jam for a while. You like reading or audiobooks? Uh, reading. Favorite carb, bread, pasta, potatoes, Damn. rice. That is so hard. That is a really hard question because all carbs are godlike. I'd have to say like a really good garlic bread or like a Thai noodle dish. Ooh. Favorite tune to sing to in the shower? <laughs> oh, man. Lately, it's been a heavy rotation of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, <laughs> <laughs> Fishing in the Dark by Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC because my boys are, they're just so into music. Every time they come home from school, they, they go, hey, Google, play this, play that. So it's been those. <laughs> What are you video streaming right now? Kate and I just finished Mayor of Easttown. Uh, it's HBO. It's only one season, but very, very well done. Um, I would highly recommend. That's the one with Kate Winslet, right? Yeah, yeah. That might for sure. My, if she uh, doesn't win awards, on. if she doesn't win awards for really? the performance, yeah, that's it's great. Okay. Really yeah, my father-in-law told me about it, and he said you got to watch it. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Best place for you to zen, especially with two young boys, two young kids in the house. Yeah, lately the golf course because that's opened back up. But I'm ah, also golf. a big Here uh, go. golf again. I'm a big outdoors guy, so I love to just you know disappear into the woods and go for a hike. Any nickname that your friends or family give you? Yeah. I mean, most people just call me by my last name. They just call me Patch or Patchy. 
but I've had many over the years. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. <laughs> Organization or cause that you support, either by donating by time or money? Yeah, I can think of a couple. Wounded Warrior Project. So just supporting, you know, it's certainly in the U.S. There's a Canadian branch as well, but it's uh, in support of, you know, soldiers who have lost limbs or had traumatic injuries uh, fighting overseas. You know, soldiers in general are not well taken care of when they come back, right? It's uh, one of the unfortunate truths of serving in the military. And it's kind of, in my mind, it's shameful that people don't take better care of them. You can disagree with, you know, political stances or why someone's, you know, why a military is in a certain place. But a lot of those guys sign up for the right reasons and are put in bad situations and come back with, you know, physical and mental injuries and they need our support. David Suzuki Foundation. What else? There's a, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a really cool. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like 1% for good or something like that, where basically brands sign up and donate a minimum of 1% of revenue to environmental causes because i think that's uh, the next battleground for for all of us okay favorite carnival food <laughs> another great question i haven't been to carnival in so long i love funnel cake i mean funnel cake really yeah. of all things yeah. yeah i was in san diego at a carnival and they deep fried butter like just a stick that's, of butter. That sounds deep amazing. fry. <laughs> and then they had they had uh, like it was fried bacon, like dipped in chocolate as well. I've had that. Uh, we had a, a oh potluck gosh. when I was at Post Media, and someone brought that, and I was like, "This is amazing." Oof. BTS, Backstreet Boys, or New Kids on the Block? Oh, man, if you had said Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, it's an easier decision, but. Uh, okay, NSYNC, uh, sure, let's do that. <laughs> no, no, I'll go with Backstreet Boys. They're the OGs. The OGs. One thing most people don't know about you. Most of my... Yeah, it's hard. I was going to say I'm a martial artist, but like everyone who knows me knows that. <laughs> okay, well, what kind of martial arts do you do? I do martial arts too. I follow Bruce Lee's concept of Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do? And so for those that don't know, you will know, but for those that don't know, you essentially study every art you can and you take what is useful to you and try and make it as efficient as possible and and make it your own style. People think it's like fluffery, if you will, but it's definitely not. If you were to, when I was training regularly, if you were to come into our gym and see two of us far who are from the same school, essentially, our styles look completely different because someone may have a base in Taekwondo and the other guy has a base in, you know, Western style boxing. And then they've adapted and added things. Mm. And I just love Bruce Lee's teachings. And I think he had a great outlook on life and philosophy. And those things translate outside of martial arts into your everyday life. I was watching a documentary about Bruce Lee just the other day and you know, growing up, he was always one of the icons that I looked up to. And I realized that in the documentary, he passed at 33. And for someone to have accomplished so much in such little time is just amazing. So, yeah, Jeet Absolutely. Kune Do. Is there actually Absolutely. a studio where you are that does Jeet Kune Do? There are a handful of guys who, who do teach it. 
when I was training most, I, it was when I was still living in Toronto and there was uh, my Sifu teacher, professor, whatever you mm. want to call him, had a studio out of his garage in Scarborough. And it was um, eye-opening. <laughs> there go. Yeah. What about you? What do you study? Study Hapkido. So nice. it was for those of uh, the audience that don't know Hapkido, it's a Korean self-defense. And uh, it was basically one of the two Korean martial arts, Taekwondo and Hapkido. And Taekwondo, apparently, this is what my masters had said that Taekwondo, those guys decided, oh, we want to be an Olympic sport. So they cleaned up all their kill moves and stuff like that. And the guys in Hapkido are like, no, we're going to stick to the street. Fighting. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll try that. Yeah, for sure. That's like, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Muay Thai, mm-hmm. its original form is Muay Baran. And that's oh, the yeah. combat version of Muay Thai. Oh, and Muay Thai is the sport. Yeah, I know. So the stuff that I, te- I actually, because of COVID, just like your master, I started teaching my daughter out of the garage, you know, doing Hapkido and then ended up buying a bunch of... Uh, dojo mats and stuck them in our basement so i have a i have a little mini studio downstairs yeah i'm teaching her like weapons training and choking people out and stuff like that i love it and before the lockdown her friends would come over and then hey kids what'd you learn today we learned how to gouge out eyeballs and the moms (laughs) are like don't do that to your little brother (laughs) it is such a great platform for teaching kids though just like self-confidence and well it is it is like especially my my daughter was fairly I don't know, not all that confident, you know, at least just walking around like physically because, you know, she didn't do a lot of the stuff and now she's much more confident. You know, when, when your kid learns to break boards, they start to be more confident in themselves. That's awesome. Um, All right. Last question. Where, where are you going to travel to once the COVID restrictions lift? Man, uh, Kate and I used to travel so much. So it's been like an itching thing. And now the difficulty is how do you do it with two young kids? So I think we'd like to go back to Hawaii for a couple of weeks and take the boys. But other places I'd love to go would be Costa Rica. I'd love to go to Japan, but I think I want to do that. I think I want to do Japan solo just to like fully dive into all the, you know, old school and history of martial arts and things that you would find there, uh, which my wife would not be interested in. (laughs) You having two young kids, we had this one trip. We still haven't done it. It was a bucket list before our daughter was born. We had planned to go to Greece and Croatia. And oh. every year, some other trip would come up. Disneyland. And then we did a Disney cruise. Still haven't done it. So I'm just telling you, the Disney things might be in your future. <laughs> it's definitely going to be in the future. For sure. For sure. You know what? Disney has, being a marketing podcast, Disney's marketing is phenomenal. You know, when I was walking in there, I was like, oh, man, I was not really wanting to go. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be like so boring and white picket fans and like, oh, I don't really want to do this. And then I walk in, I'm like, this is the happiest place on earth. Like, it was, <laughs> it, like the stuff that they did and the precision and how they execute their marketing, I thought was was amazing. You know, for, you know, again, however you want to think of Disney itself, that's another thing. But how they execute their marketing. Uh, is phenomenal. So that speaks volumes to like how brands should act, right? Like, you know, a brand is basically for lack of a better term, the experience you leave people with. Right. 
So if you know you could have great marketing, and if it drives to a terrible experience, then you know you're kind of out of luck. You got to start with the experience and build from there, right? Totally. And and so if you ever go with your kids, I mean, just go from a marketer's perspective. Yeah. And there's so much learning that I was able to take in. It was it was almost a work trip for me, right? So. Very cool. Okay, so um, any last thing that you want to bring up on the podcast before we, we leave? Any tips that you want to share with our audience today? I would say hmm, kind of two things. For brands, like, you know, we, we touched on it, but I think it's, you know, staying true to yourself and true to your audience. Like, honor the trust that you've developed with them and give them good experiences. I didn't mention this at all, but I have another company called Master Volume, and it's basically just a content company. So Relative Company is, you know, up the chain strategy will help you solve problems and grow your business. And the one area of execution that I would farm to my own other company is content creation. So that's what they do. And to me, like content creation is about amplifying that experience that you're providing, right? So I'd say that to brands, just obviously try and stay true to who you are and remember that, you know, what you do, not what you say matters. Um, And then for agencies, I would urge them to move towards radical transparency as soon as possible, because I think a lot of disruption is headed their way. It's already starting to happen. But, you know, if you have companies like Funalytics offering that clear view, and if they're going to brands, then you're going to need to follow suit, right? You know, you see a lot of companies even bringing in in-house a lot of their digital media buying, right? They want that transparency. They want to control it. So as agencies, we need to kind of evolve and innovate and do better. So I'd say those two things. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time today. Really enjoyed our conversation. Everybody, this was Mark Petch from Relative Company, Funalytics, and Master Volume. Is that right, Master Volume? <laughs> Yeah, you got it. Thanks a lot, Ted. It's been a pleasure, man. And uh, let's stay in touch. Let's do that. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.